this thing. Let me move this. Well, I'm not sure. Um, oh, a couple, couple quick things for you guys is um, this is just a friendly reminder from your pastor to say if, if you have borrowed one of my books, please bring it back. <laughs> so um, I love my books. I love people more than books, but um, please, if you've got one of my books, please bring it back. Some of you have a lot more books than others, and I know, and you know who you are. No, that's, no, but uh, anyway, but love to, uh, yeah, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, I try, I was referencing a book in, in my office, and I went, oh, it's right, oh, it's not there, and then the person asked me, was like, well, who, ha- who has it? I was like, someone in the church. And so that's all right. No, honestly, I, I, I like broke my unbreakable rule in that I've never lend out books. But then I moved to this part of the world that has like very few resources here for good books. And I was like, well, you poor things, you don't have access to this. And so I will actually lend you some of these books. So, um, but I kind of, I need them back if that's all right. So anyway, if you don't mind, uh, that'd be wonderful. If you've got them, great. Um, and if you uh, are looking for a place to buy good books, Reformers Bookshop, that's where it's at. Reformers Bookshop, they are um, intentionally get, so some of you guys remember my friend Mike Pratagaladad, he's a um, Filipino bloke, pastor in um, uh, Stanmore, Stanmore Baptist, and um, he's preached here several times, and, and he, he runs Reformers Bookshop, it's great. They, they, don't get, they don't get lame books, they get good books, so... Anyway, there you go. That's just, uh, for, bless you, Rhonda. That's just a, uh, uh, don't sneeze during my sermon. Yeah, no. um, so uh, I wonder, let me start by asking you this. How many of you, um, after you've already silenced your mobile phones, how many of you have friends that um, they call themselves a Christian, um, but they, don't, they can't really be bothered with church? Or some people will say this thing, uh, oh, you don't need to be a Christian to go to church. You heard that before? Yeah. Now, let me say this. You're not justified by, we're, we don't, we're not the Church of Rome here. We don't, we don't believe in the seven sacraments, and participation through those sacraments gets you saved. We believe that you're saved by faith alone and grace alone, for Christ alone, from the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. We are Protestant evangelicals here. Okay? So I'm going to wear that shirt happily. However... However, uh, the, the means of grace by which we are encouraged and fortified and riveted on in our Christian faith is actually mediated through the local church. And, and th- let me say this. The person that says, we well, don't need to be, go- you know, I need to get a church to be a Christian. Could it be that we've thought of church not so much as something, the reason, maybe the reason that person's saying that, could it be that we've thought of church not so much as something that we are accountable to and through which our Christian identity is actually realized, but is sort of an optional enhancement to our own spiritual journey. In other words, well, I'm an individual, and I have a personal relationship with Jesus, and the last thing that we want to do to ruin it would be to institutionalize it. You catch what I'm saying? Now, I'm not sure if you ever thought about this, but when God calls a people... If you look at the, say, like, if you just, like, 
pick up your Bible and just start reading from Genesis onward. God calls and redeems a people, not so much the individual. Go back to Abraham, for example. The Lord called him, but the point was to make not just him, but him into a great nation, right? Or when God rescued Israel out of Egypt, they were to be his covenant people. Yes, God saves individuals, but they are engrafted, listen, they are engrafted into a larger community. Uh, the same is true today in the new covenant. The Lord has a blood-bought people. They are his bride. Actually, as Jenny just very eloquently read that for us, they are the body of Christ. And one part can't say, well, I don't need you. I mean, did, did you just track along with, she was reading that, right? So here's the point that I want to drive home. Last week, Dan talked about why we sing, and I want to talk about why we gather. Why we gather. I realize this might sound like a no-brainer, but a church that never meets or gathers is no church at all. A church that never meets or gathers is no church at all. And let's go back to your friend. Now, you don't need to be a Christian to go to church. You don't need to be justified to go to church, but I would say that I would beg that you're actually a Christian if you're not in church, okay? Because it's the body. So someone that says, we don't, uh, and the reason that person is saying that is just because they want to watch sport right now instead of being here. They want to, uh, you know, get in their caravan and go on holiday. They want to be a bum or whatever. They're just selfish. And it's just a cheap it's a cheap rhetoric to sort of knock you out and go, oh, well, gee, I guess you, know, you don't have to be... A... But just stop and think about it. We are not called as individuals. We're called as a body. So someone that's removing themselves from that, I'd, I'd beg to differ that they're even a believer. Especially this post-COVID world. Wow, we don't need church. We got church online. So, so let me press this. Does God care that we gather? Yes. Okay, good. Well, that's my first point. <laughs> Does God care that we gather? And then, let me press it even further. Does God care what we do when we gather? I'm not angry up here, by the way. I said this before. I clap. I get excited. I'm an, I've been parachuted into the Central Coast, so I don't have all the Central Coast makeup. But I'm here to pull you guys up a bit, okay? That's, that, no, no, but anyway. So I'm not angry. I'm just enthusiastic, okay? So there you go. Um, so here's the two questions I want to ask. Does God care that we gather, and does God care how we gather? In other words, what we do here, okay? Like, in other words, what should happen in these gatherings? And, and this is just as much on you, okay? This is just, so it's not just about me. This is, the, the, the second bit is actually going to be on all of you. So does God care that we gather? And, and, and good, because... And the love is you. Yes. Of course, you're going to say yes because you're here, right? And that's good. Um, but does God care what we do when, when we gather? Does God regulate how we are to worship? Does God, is he concerned about what we do when we worship? Uh, or is he just kind of like, oh, hey, I'm just happy you guys showed up. I mean, what was me? If I, oh. Okay, so those are the things that I want to explore together. And Lord, need, Lord knows... I need, I, I, let's all pray and I need it. So let's, let's pray together. <laughs> Father, we 
thank you for this time to gather and to think about the importance of gathering. And Lord, we pray that what we know not, that you would teach us, what we have not, that you would give us, and what we are not, that you would make us. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. So does God care about the gathering of his people? So I, I, I just referred to this, but when the nation of Israel was rescued out of Egypt, right on the heels of this, the Lord had them gather at the foot of Mount Sinai. Look what he said to Moses in this groundbreaking moment for Israel. Deuteronomy 9, And the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written, on the, written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain, out of the midst of the fire. Notice, on the day of assembly. Now, I'm just trying to rattle. Let me just say something really quick here. If you want to flip to these, I just preached at a camp last weekend, and they were pretty cross that I put all these up here. And they were like, why don't you just have people flip to them? And I said, well, that's fair enough. So if you want to actually just, like, they were like, we, can, we know where it is in the Bible. I said, okay, fine, fine, fine. Uh, that's, so if you, want, that's, if you want to flip to them, that's fine. I just like to sometimes rattle these off, and then, yeah, so there you go. Um, but anyway, notice the word there, the day of assembly. Can you see that? The day of assembly occurred at key moments in Israel's history. Um, for instance, when the temple was completed and the Ark of the Covenant was brought inside, the people gathered or assembled before the Lord. Look at 1 Kings 8. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. Then the king turned around and blessed, notice, all the assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel stood. Now, if you keep reading in the Old Testament, you see different watershed moments where God's covenant people assemble together. And then, by the time that we get into the New Testament, we see that the church is gathering, not just on these sort of key moments like the temple or at Mount Sinai, but on a regular basis, so what's called on the Lord's Day. So if the book of Acts, when Paul stops in Troas to visit the Christians there, it says in Acts 20, on the first day of the week, you see that there? The first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them. The first day of the week is when the church gathered. And later, when Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he uses phrases like, when you come together as a church, when the whole church comes together. Check out what I mean in 1 Corinthians 14. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, let all things be done for building up. It's interesting, he doesn't say, oh, if you guys so happen to come together, he just assumes that they're gathering. Did you see that? He goes, oh, look, you know, I know that, you know, um, I know it's long weekend, and I know that there's stuff happening, and I know there's like a lot of cool stuff going on, but if, if once a month you can, you can get yourself there, that'd be great. No. When you come together, 1 Corinthians 11, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. Notice what he says in chapter 14, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and out an outsider and an unbeliever enter, will they not say that you were out of your minds? Yes, as they should. Obviously, we don't have the time to cover the topic of tongues. Maybe that's going to be an equipped class, which is good. 
But I hope what you're starting to see is this idea of the church gathering. Can you see it there? They did it regularly, and it was, notice, it was a distinct event. Now, the reason I say it was a distinct event is because Paul takes the time to give specific instructions on what they should do, listen, in church, which may not have been necessarily a building, but it's the in church, meaning it's the assembled people, the gathering people, the ecclesia people, the group that is assembled. That is the church gathering. Notice 1 Corinthians 14, nevertheless, in church. I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. It appears that Paul sees church as a gathering, a distinct event. Notice again, 1 Corinthians 14. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. You see, gathering isn't simply a nice thing to do. It's part of what a church is. Even the word church itself, when you study it, ecclesia, means gathering, means assembly. That's what the church, that's what the word means. Part of what defines the very nature of the church is the fact that it gathers. Um, Let me give you an example. When Paul shows up to, in, in the book of Acts, right, and he is preaching in Ephesus, there is a, people are super cross because imagine that in, like there's the, the, the big, the, the big money makers were the, uh, the idolaters, right? The people that were coming up with the, the idols. And so they said, uh, these guys have persuaded the Ephesians not to worship this pagan goddess named Diana anymore. Um, and so we're losing our money. And, and now, you know, we're losing our blessing, so to speak, from Diana. And it's because of these guys. It's because people stopped worshiping this, this, I, this pagan goddess. And then it says that they dragged these guys into the amphitheater, right? So here, it's just, there's this massive riot that's going down. And the word that Luke uses to identify the group that did this is an ecclesia. It's a gathering. It's an assembly. It's an assembly with the intent to kill. <laughs> so that's probably not a church you want to be a part of. But the term church, I hope you're seeing it though, simply means gathering, assembly. Are you understanding that? It's the same word that's used. Now, that's not a church, okay? That's just simply a group of people. But, Paul, but Luke clearly sees ecclesia. He doesn't divorce ecclesia and assembly. He, he understands that to be the word itself. Are you, is that, are you tracking with me? So a, a meeting or a gathering isn't just something churches do. A meeting is in part what a church is. The Lord has saved individuals and united them as a body, united them as an assembly of people that gather on the Lord's day. Well, what's the Lord's day? Well, it's Sunday. Well, how do you know that? Well, because that's the way the scriptures use it. Every single time when you look at the scriptures, and what it's, it's Sunday, the day the Lord rose from the dead. And then it's, and constantly it says, on the Lord's day, on the Lord's day. Uh, when 
when uh, John is on the island of Patmos and he is visited, it says that he is on the Lord, he's there doing it on the Lord's day. Um, here's something kind of interesting. Have you ever thought about, um, so obviously the apostles go off the scene. We no longer have apostles and prophets. Um, and so there goes the apostles. There they go. Um, but you ever wonder, the apostles, the disciples, wouldn't it have been cool to meet the people that they discipled? You with me? Like, they didn't just, like, preach and teach. Like, they, they invested. Paul planted churches. Paul invested into guys like, as we know, Titus and Timothy. And, but then, when, like, the next generation, when that, when that whole mob was gone, wouldn't it be interesting that the type of people that were invested into by, say, John, the beloved disciple and all that? Well, we actually have writings of those people. Like, a, there's a bloke named Polycarp who was invested, discipled by John. And Polycarp has written plenty of things about the church. Now, those writings aren't Bible, but it's pretty interesting. Would you agree? I mean, so like, for instance, there's a, a first and second century document called the Didache. That's from the Greek word didaskalos. That means to teach. And the Didache so first and second, first, second century document that kind of says, hey, all these churches are still now being planted. The apostles are off the scene. How should we conduct ourselves? How should we work? What should we do as a church? Kind of like a church covenant, church constitution. Seriously. Well, well here, here's one thing that the Didache says in chapter 14, verse 1. And notice, and on the Lord's own day, gather yourselves together and break bread and give thanks. First, confessing your transgressions, that your sacrifice may be pure. So, in other words, the disciples are gone, the apostles are gone, and the early church is going, oh, what should we do now? Well, here's a helpful, it's not like binding, but it's a helpful document called the Didache. And that's to actually think how we're to conduct ourselves. Here's one thing that's interesting as well, and for all of you that are, that are new to the idea of close close communion. Do you know in the Didache that it says, who should participate in the Lord's Supper? You ready for it? Those who have been baptized. Oh, I thought that was that terrible legalistic thing that Dan and Rob invented and brought it into this church on the central coast. No, no, we're just being lockstep with how the church has thought for thousands of years in history. So again, check your history, check your Bible. These things are just, this is just clear. So when did the church gather? On the Lord's day. But when did the people of God gather? What, what are they to do each week? Should, when they gather, we, maybe I've convinced you of that. You're like, okay, I get it. We're to gather. I get it. So when we gather, then what should we do? Should we just, you know, maybe take a vote on what we want to do? Should we sort of, you know, lick our finger and kind of put it up in the wind and see the way the wind's blowing? And maybe, I know, I don't think people like the idea of um, Bibles very much, so let's get, let's get rid of those. And let's, they don't like the idea of sin, so, so let's talk about that from the pulpit. Let's, let's, let's tailor fit our services so that the seekers can be comfortable. And yeah, Sounds good? That's what people have done. But probably not the best thing, actually. So then what should we do? Has God given us some clear instructions on what we're to do as a church? 
Yeah. Yeah, the Lord is not silent on this issue. So, so what are we to do then? Well, we are to read the Bible, preach the Bible, pray the Bible, sing the Bible, see the Bible. That's what we're to do. We're to read the Bible, preach the Bible, pray the Bible, sing the Bible, see the Bible. The Bible actually spells out for us, God is not silent. He actually spells out for us what we are to do when we assemble ourselves. So, let's think through them. Read the Bible. Do you ever, do you ever wonder why we bother with having someone come up here, as Jenny did this morning, and read portions of the Bible? Well, for one, it's because Christians are commanded to do that. Paul's told Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Did you hear that? The public reading, it's, it's, it's a gathering. Devote yourself to prayer and to the public reading of Scripture. And that's why when we read the Bible here, because it's a public event, church is not just Hopefully you're seeing the, the centrality of it. The assembly is not just a random thing that you sort of tick a box or try to make non-believers feel comfortable here. But this is actually like you worshiping. And when the Bible is read, that's an act of worship. And so we believe in a participation with the church. So when the Bible is read for hundreds of years in history, they would do this thing where they would say, this is the word of the Lord. And the church would say, thanks be to God. And so we're not just kind of going... Uh, yeah, yeah. What? I'm, I'm absolutely bamboozled um, by the people that just have sat here for years and just, for why I don't get why they just sit there like this and they don't track along with their Bibles. Don't get that. But for those of us that most of us do bring our Bibles, we track along. When the Bible is read out, it's a, it's, do you understand? It's a, not just a one person up here saying this is God's word, but this is the word of the Lord, and we're affirming that, saying, thanks be to God. Like, when the Bible's read, it's, it's washing over us unedited. Make sense? It's just God's word firehosing us. We need those words. That's why one of the reasons Ross read this morning for us from the psalm. It's, it's just hearing, it's, it's reorienting the way that we think. It's calling us to worship God. It's why we read scripture in church. That's why churches should read Scripture in church. But we shouldn't just read the Bible and say, well, well, there it is. We should preach the Bible. Preach the Bible. The reason that some bloke, be it Dan, myself, or a guest preacher, the reason that some male pastor comes up here and preaches every week is because when we gather, God's people are fed by God's Word. In the Old Testament, the Lord laments the fact that his people were perishing for a lack of knowledge about himself. And time and again, we see that when the church gathers, there is to be a preaching. Let, let me show you what I mean. Go, to, go in your Bibles to 2 Timothy. So this is Paul's last words. This is sort of his deathbed experience, as it were, and he's got his protege there. And what does Paul say 
to his young protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I want you to see how he just is ratcheting this up. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Right? I mean, imagine that. Imagine Paul, like, you know, he's about to die and he kind of grabs you by the shirt collar, right? And he goes, you better do this. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. I mean, you're like, okay, what is it, sir? Sir, yes, sir. Right? And by his appearing and his kingdom, here comes the command to Timothy and to every church that assembles. Kerusan ton lagon. Preach the... Preach yourself. Preach what people... Preach people's felt needs. No, you preach God's word and you'll meet their needs. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and correct with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, Timothy. So, I think it's pretty clear that Timothy is to preach, not himself, not his cleverness, but, his, but what God has given. Honestly, I, I will speak from just my own experience here. I have grown in my understanding of who God is, what it means to be in relationship with other Christians, be a husband, be a father, through good preaching. They are, good preachers are gifts to the church. That's what it says in Ephesians 4, to be precise. They are gifts. And so when we gather, one of the things that we do here is that we want to open up God's word. Now, ironically, this is a topical sermon, right? But on a regular basis, what's the regular diet that we are going to feed you guys here is chapter by chapter, verse by verse, expositional preaching. Any other preaching is a joke. It shouldn't even, it's not even preaching. Seriously, it's just some moron with his own ideas coming up and sugarcoating things and trying to get a bunch of bums in a seat. Seriously, let me just, I'm, I, know, I know I sound really brash, but let me just straight up. I've been around the block a long time. I was an intern at Willow Creek Church. I've been a part of mega churches. I've seen all, I've seen all this shtick a thousand times, and all it is is just trying to get a bunch of bums in seats. And what do you have? You don't have actual real church. You've got a bunch of lukewarm people, and you've got thousands of them. But, oh, the movement of God is there because look how big we are. Waste. Rubbish. Preach the word. I guarantee you in half of those churches, you start showing up and, pre- and telling what God's word, and they're not going to have a bar of it. God's, feed God's people his word. I know, I know I probably sound negative over here, but I've, I've, I've walked through, you guys don't have to understand, it's not my first rodeo. I've, I've lived in different parts of the world. I've seen this stuff. And the churches where I see I can meet with faithful brothers and sisters in Christ are the churches where the God's word is preached. 
period, full stop. The churches that I meet a bunch of schmucks or, or which is, is when the church, when the, I feel like I'm Mark Driscoll again up here. The, 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 the church, let me loose. The, 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 the churches where I meet lukewarm people is it's lukewarm pulpits. And it's just, it's just this weak sermonette, felt needs. Oh, let's make you laugh and feed you. And, and what do you mean? It's got a bunch of people and it's just weak. And I, you know what? Praise God that many of you have, I've seen you grow in your faith through this thing called preaching, coming here and gathering with God's people and discussing it afterwards. That is God's grace, that he would take an absolute selfish ratbag like me and and, and guy who's just, yeah. Struggles. I mean, you can you can see just in my posture this morning. I've just got a lot going on in my life, and I I, I'm yeah. So you can just tell, and and he would take a selfish jerk like me, but we would sit under God's word, watch it, and 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 hear the word, hear the word of the Lord, and have it preached. And I've watched many of you blossom in your faith. Praise God for that. I could never do that. I could never ever do that in a hundred years. That's because we've been committed to sitting week in and week out preaching Jonah, Titus, Matthew for five years. Whatever, whatever, whatever it's been, it's because we want to open up this book and have this book dictate to us what it says. Listen, I will say this. If you're not up for that, go away. Go to another church. There's plenty that are just going to feed you all that junk food. Make this your last Sunday. Do us all a favor. But if you're here and you want God's word preached, you're going to get it here, my brother and sister. Okay? So, I love you. Don't hear that as a negative thing. Hear that as this is God's word. We need to take it serious. Preach the word. So, read the Bible. I think I emphatically made the second point. Preach the Bible. Pray the Bible. Pray the Bible. Um, you ever wonder why Jesus taught his followers to pray in a corporate, collected manner? Think about this. How does the Lord's Prayer begin? My Father who is in heaven? Our Father. Or, or how about the book of James? Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. When we gather each week and praise a congregation, we show our reliance on God, we take time to confess sin and rejoice in the forgiveness that's offered through Christ. In corporate prayer, God is held up as the highest, and we are built up and encouraged together. And Brother Joel, you did a great job leading us this morning in that. So thank you for that. One of the models that we follow, and Andrew said it a million times when he'd come up here and pray, love you, brother, is we follow this thing called Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. You know, that helped me the other night. I couldn't sleep. It was like one in the morning. And I sat there in my chair and I said, well, I don't know what to pray. I'm half tired. I'm half irritated. I can't go to sleep. And I just walked through, Lord, I thank you that you are sovereign. You are sovereign of this moment right now. I confess that I'm feeling dot, 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 dot. I thank you for your forgiveness that I'm found in you. And Lord, help me now. Just sat there back in Eden's room in the chair, just praying that. And, and so, brother and sister, this is one of the things we, we read the Bible, we preach the Bible, and we, we pray through Scripture. We want to do that as a church. And we sing the Bible. Now, I'm not going to steal dance thunder or even try to, but 
Um, I remember visiting a church for the first time as a kid, and I thought the whole idea of singing was a bit bizarre. Like, why are, why are people singing, right? But when a church gathers, why do we sing? Well, God has created us and called us to worship Him. Psalm 96 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Christianity is a singing faith. I mean, after Jesus shared the Last Supper with His disciples, they sang a hymn together. And if you read Revelation, you can see that heavens will be filled with praises of God. Heavens will be filled with... If you don't like it, you're going to hate heaven. I think Dan said something like that. I couldn't believe when I first got to this church and I went to some joke of a Christian conference and the guy said that he, he's like, that sounds like the, this is the guest speaker of this conference, right? That, that we went, that some of the blokes in this church went to, such a joke. And he sat, sat up in the front I kid you not, Andrew, you can validate me on this because him and I left this conference. It was such a joke. And he said, oh, heaven's not going to be filled with praises of God. That sounds so boring. I'd rather, and he said, and I won't repeat half the other thing about what he said about degradation of women, but he said, I'd rather go to hell, thank you very much, but give me some gin first. And I said, well, that's probably exactly where you're going, dude. I'm not going to have a bar of this guy. I don't care what denomination stamps that thing. That is out and out blasphemy. That is wrong. So anyway, I don't agree with that. Heaven is going to be filled with God's praise because he is worthy of our praise. So you want more juice on that? I can tell you about it afterwards. So read the Bible, preach the Bible, pray the Bible. And we do, and you know, uh, brothers, that you led us this morning, you did a fantastic job, like... Those, those, those lyrics were spot on. Can we, can we actually pull up, Reinhardt, can you go back to the second song that we sang? Is, uh, and again, I'm not going to still dance thunder here, but look at these lyrics here. So, so these lyrics are so, this is a, a hymn that's been sung by Christians, yeah, before the throne. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest. Why do we need a high priest? Because we are sinners whose name is love, Christ Whoever lives and pleads for me, keep going, right? My name is, look, what a beautiful line this is. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. You know, no matter what space you're living in right now, listen, that is better than any, that is better than any paid professional could tell you because you feel that deep down in your bones, do you not? I don't care what's going on in your life right now, dear friend. If your name is, Graven on his hands and written on his heart, nothing or no one or no circumstance can snatch you out of his hands. I, I know that, yeah, hallelujah, exactly. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No, com- uh, yeah, yes. Next, next line. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Why? Because... The sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look in him on part of me, to look on him and part of me. You should be, that is the most important information in the world. I don't care who wins state of origin, though I do. I won't tell you who. But I want, I want, I believe Maroon. But but I don't care who all this stuff, oh, I don't care what your stupid holiday you're gonna. Uh, encounter the next year. I don't, 
this is the most important information in the world. This is, this is where all of history is headed. <laughs> My goodness. So, so if you believe that, you should be belting that out with all of your heart. You, you, people across, in the servo station should hear us. And I'm not trying to make us a Pinty church, though some of you would love that. But like there, there, there should be this angst, this excitement about those lyrics. Do you believe that to be true? Then, then we should belt that out with everything. I, 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 it, when we finish up, which don't worry, we're almost there. When we finish up and we do have a time to, after reflecting on Christ's body broken for us, those lyrics, that should rivet us to singing with all that we've got. So read the Bible preach the Bible, pray the Bible, sing the Bible, and we see the Bible. By seeing, I mean the celebration of baptism and communion. 1 Corinthians 17 says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we partake of the one bread. So hopefully by now, some of the stuff we do as a church each week is starting to make a little more sense. So when we ask, what is the church? And we, need to, we start with God's word. And we understand the Lord is not silent on this issue. In fact, the Bible spells out clearly what we're to do, what we're to believe, actually, what we're to practice. And as a pastor, honestly, one of my biggest concerns when I deal with people who have either left this church or who are kind of on the fringe. And let me say, dear friend, if you come once a month, you are on the fringe. Okay? There is no good excuse unless there's some exceptional medical reason. There's not an excuse for you to be here once a month. I know you probably don't think that you're here once a month. That's the, always the craziest thing. When I feel like, where have you been? Oh, I was here last Sunday. Oh, no, no. Oh, yeah. I guess it has been five weeks. And if, you're, if you come once a month, you are on the fringe. And when that happens, when people drop in and drop out, my concern is by doing so, they're giving testimony to the watching world. And their testimony is that the unity that Christ bought for us, the bond we have in the Holy Spirit that he gave to us is really not that important. They don't really believe that you, they get much of connecting with other believers and to be part of a visible church family. And so instead, they're quite comfortable, sort of existing off by themselves, not joined to any local church. And as a result, they make an open declaration that what God has said about his church isn't really all that important or true. It just is. And don't misunderstand me. My issue isn't whether or not the seats are filled in this place. I think I've made that pretty clear. I'm not saying that we got to, you know, get this church jam-packed each week so that we can feel like God is moving here. My concern for you is for the testimony of the watching world and the preciousness of Christ's church. As the author of Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, in some, as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more, all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you believe Christ is coming back? Yes. Yes, that's right. So all the more you need to be just not really bothering to come into church. Christians don't need to go to church. You don't need to be a Christian to go to church. Well, 
we're a bunch of baloney that is. What does Hebrews say? All the more as you see Christ's Christ second advent coming on its heels. You can, you can feel it. I, I pray it's in our lifetime. Oh, I pray that would be amazing today. I didn't used to really think that because I wanted to get married and, you know, and, and all that stuff. And selfishly, I'm like, oh, yeah, yo, I, I believe that. I know, kind of not really. And, and like, look, the longer I live, the, the more I feel the weight of my own sin and see death. And, and the, the more I can understand this world, I'm like, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Like, and, and so what am I supposed to do? What, what, what am I supposed to do? Just go to eschatology conferences and get excited about that? Woo, look, we've got it all mapped out on some chart. No, as, as the day approaches, no, I'm to actually meet with my fellow Christians to be spurred on to love and good deeds. That's what it says. I need the church. You need the church. You seeing that? You don't need to, you don't need to be, you know, what did I say in the beginning? You don't need to uh, go to church to be a Christian. I just think that's, that, that statement is, it, it's, it's a false dichotomy in a lot of ways. Does that make sense? Like, it's just, it's a dumb, it's just, it's, just, it's, it's like saying, well, you know, could God create a rock that he couldn't carry? Well, yes. Ah, no. Ugh. You see, it's just, it's a, it's, that's, that's a nonsensical statement to say. So, so it's the same thing of could you don't need to be a, a Christian to go to church. Oh, I would say you're, you're not a Christian if you're not going to church, honestly. I mean, can't you just see already this, what it's been spelled out here? So, so be encouraged, brother and sister, that, that, you're, that you're here, and, and let's, rivet, let's continue to rivet one another on to love and good deeds, as it says. That, that's, that's what we're to do. This is God's, like the local church, this is God's plan A for reaching the nations and for discipleship. This is God's plan A. This is it. Can you think of a better thing? Is there some like parachurch ministry that can even hold a candle to it? No way. No way. So, yeah, we, I, think, I think I've made my point. Why don't we pray? <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for this time now to remember Christ's body broken for us his blood shed for us. That, Lord, for those of us that are in Christ, our name is graven on his hand, written on your heart, O Lord, because of his work and because of the Spirit applying that work to our lives. So, Lord, we pray now that we'd be able to reflect upon those truths and those realities through this time of communion as well as the time of singing and prayer together for the rest of the service. In Christ's name, amen. So, friends, like the ditto,